0: Last week, I asked you the question, what's your Macedonian call? And what I mean by that is simply this. What is God's direction in your life that he has for you? Where is he leading you? Where is he taking you? Where are you following him? God's simple direction is what that question, I pray, brought to mind. The direction of Noah's Park Adventures and Learning is to go ahead and be dismissed to their children's church time y'all help me remember that start holding up signs or something because that is not on my mind when i step up here but i'm glad it's on the mind of those that are serving and working in that ministry so they take care of noah's park adventures and learning and so in acts chapter 17 uh, that's where we find paul's macedonian call well we find it earlier than that but the fulfillment of it is in Acts chapter 17. To bring you up to speed just real quickly and where we are in the book of Acts, this is after the first missionary journey where Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch and where they spend some time there and the dispute over John Mark takes place and Paul and Barnabas part ways and then Paul and Silas continue the journey and they go to Derbe and Lystra and they meet Timothy and they bring Timothy onto the uh, ministry team so to speak to go forward with them and to head to Asia as it were. Paul wants to go to Asia that's his heart's desire that's his heart's cry he wants to reach and unreach to people group but he says God stopped him God wouldn't allow him to go to Asia the Holy Spirit forbade him to preach in Asia he made it to Galatia and Phrygia on the way but he can't go the full distance and direction that he wants to head to and so then, from there he makes his way to Troas that's where the vision of the Macedonian call comes as the man in his dream a Macedonian says come over here and help us and so that's what's taking place as Paul is on his way wanting to go one direction God changes it to the other what I want you to understand about when I ask what's your Macedonian call is be ready for God to change your direction Be ready for him to change from your idea and your decree of what it is you want to do and what you want to be. Be ready for God to say, no, that's not my plan for you. I have a different will. I have a different way. And and, and God is a big enough God to communicate that to you just like he did to Paul to keep him uh, from going into Asia. On the way, though, they go to Philippi. And three main things happen in Philippi. A ladies' Bible study, a demon-possessed girl, and prison doors open in the midst of that time that they're in Philippi. At the ladies' Bible study, Lydia trusts in Jesus. Who's Lydia? She's an Asian. When she goes back home, the gospel goes back with her. Is God big enough to get the gospel where he wants it to go? He absolutely is. Does God call us to walk alongside in partnership with him? Well, more in obedience to him. And that obedience to him is simply realizing what God's will and way is. And God's will and way is to go into all the earth proclaiming the gospel. Teaching it to all creatures. That's his will and way. And when we walk with him in obedience to that, he gets the gospel where he desires it to go and that's what happens with Lydia she goes back after she trusts to her home at some point in time and takes the gospel with her there the demon possessed girl the second thing that happened Paul was then illegally beaten and put in jail because of casting the demon out of that girl and and robbing in their minds the owners of that girl from their uh prized possession and that is money and wealth and so he's cast into prison and and illegally beaten beforehand but the prison's door are open and the chains fall off of paul and, and the jailer is saved when you're walking with god be ready for him to change your direction but when you're walking with god be ready for him to bring beauty out of chaos be ready for him to redeem the problems that are in front of. Be ready for him to break something to make something. And that's what he did in that jail. He broke the foundations of the jail. The walls uh, were shaken, the shackles were loosed. But a new soul was saved, he and his family. And so God will change your directions when and where he wants, and and he can break something to make something. And and when when God works in the midst of of what he does, all we get to do is say, wow, God, you are awesome. You are glorious. You are above my ways. Because Paul's ways wanted to go differently. They left Lydia's house from there and went to Thessalonica. Behold, they're in Macedonia. Now that's where Thessalonica is located where the call called for him to go. And so Paul is right where God wants him to be. Would you agree with me that when he got the vision for the Macedonian call and he ends up finding his way to Thessalonica, which is in Macedonia, would you agree that he's right where God wants him to be? Have you ever been right where God wants you to be? I'm not necessarily talking about a spatial location, although it could be that. But I'm talking about you are walking in the will and the way of God. And you know you're hearing uh, the direction that God has for you through circumstances, uh, through brethren, but mostly predominantly through his word. The Holy Spirit's leadership as what God speaks to you. And, And you're walking in those ways. And you know, I am right where I'm supposed to be. My spirit sings within me. My soul extols God. Everything about my day is glory unto him. Have you ever been there? You know what we think about all that? We think that when I'm right where God wants me to be, everything will be peace-filled. And it will, but it doesn't mean there's not going to be any problems. That means in spite of the problems, you're going to know the peace of God that passes understanding. It doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. But I tell you what, the more I come to know the presence of God, the more I come to know that the process of walking with God is really simple. Didn't say it was easy, but it's really. Uh, simple we might think that serving the Lord should be easy that there should be no conflict that there should be no problems that there should be no labor on our part that God is going to accomplish everything and and we often conflate peace with ease and the two are are not hand in hand with each other And, and so as we looked last week And I asked you what was God's personal call and direction, and I said it begins with being faithful to what God has already revealed, and God's personal call and direction yields fruit. It may require some work on your part. It may require you to surrender and to yield and to follow the directions that God gives. Paul actually did that and that's why he found himself in Macedonia where the, he was right where God's will wanted him to be. There is a Macedonian call for each one of us. I'm careful not to prescribe to you what that will be for you, but I am careful to prescribe to you be listening to God. For it's in that that he speaks. The be still and know that I am God is still a prescription for us to follow. But that does not mean it's easy. But living the spiritual life, living the following walk is really rather simple. Here's Paul's simplicity of ministry. Did you say it, Lord? And if the answer is yes, then Paul's simplicity of ministry is, then I'll follow. We sing songs, wherever he leads, I'll go. That's really the simplicity of it. What is God directing? Again, not going to prescribe, but let me show you today some characteristics of Paul's call that would be a part, at least a part of your call. Before I presume, presume, let's not try to say the bigger word, let's say the smaller word. Before I presume upon you that you want God's call, ask yourself that question, do you really want it? Do do you really want to follow what God leads and what God teaches? Because where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And if your heart is in self, your treasure is not going to be in following God. And so let me not presume that, but if your desire is to follow God and to find the call that he specifically has shaped you for and directed you to, there are some characteristics of Paul's call that would be a part of your call. In Acts chapter 17, let's read all 15 verses and then we're going to come back and look at a few of those. In chapter 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Let me ask you a question. Do you think all the people of the city uh, that got provoked knew what was going on? No. Mob mentality is nothing new. Joining the wave of social reform which is what this was because of financial loss is nothing new being offended by what others say and do and then revolting against that is nothing new and most of the people in the fight didn't even know what they were fighting for They simply followed the mob. It reminds me of the old Jerry Clower story where where, uh, Ma went and threw her boiled okra in the dish, in the dog pan that was on the porch. And that boiled okra, that slick, slimy, slinky boiled okra, you know, that just, you don't even have to chew, it just goes right down. Well, all the dogs came running on the porch to get them some of that boiled okra. And uh, the biggest hound dog out there, Highball, gets up onto the porch and sucks down the whole dog pan of boiled okra went down so fast he didn't even realize he ate it. He turned around looked at the other dogs and thought they done ate it. In high balls anger, he jumped on the other dogs and started fighting. And all them dogs started fighting together just biting and clawing and and whimpering at each other. And only one dog in the whole pile knew what they were fighting for. Isn't that a sad commentary? I think that's where America is. I don't think most people know what they're fighting for. I think they get drug into the fringes of it. Next thing you know, they're staking their life on the fact that, well, offense and equality and social justice and all of these things is what I should be fighting for. Let me show you what you should be fighting for. When they did not find them, verse 6, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar. There's the, uh, there's the talking point that was put forward, and that's all that was. Is a talking point for political favor. They've acted contrary to, to the decrees of Caesar saying there is another King Jesus and they troubled the crowd and the ruler of the city and they heard these things so when they had taken security from Jason and the rest they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. In that, they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks' prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came also there and stirred up the crowds. Did you see what the important thing really was? What ticked them off? It wasn't the talking point that they have a king other than Caesar. What ticked them off is the word of God was being preached. I don't care where you land politically, socially. I don't care where you land in many different areas of your life. My question is, have you landed upon the truth of God that Jesus loves you? He sent his son to die for you so that you might be forgiven of all your sin. Because if you don't land upon that rock, that rock will land upon you. And my friends, eternity is a long time to be wrong. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're going to spend eternity separated from that offer of salvation and the fullness of that salvation. You're going to spend eternity separated from the grace of God that he now gives freely. And so the most important thing is, where are you with God? And that's what the fight is all about. They want to stop Paul from preaching the gospel. Why is that? Just think about it for a second. Satan's job description is to kill, steal, and destroy. In that job description, he will use every means and every method available to him to do just that. If he can turn people's mind through false religions, then he'll create pseudo dynamics over here that look a lot like faith issues, that look a lot like religious principles and practices that I don't want, want to do. And oh, by the way, he feeds our flesh in there because what do we realize? We realize that we're all sinners, separated from the glory of God because of our will and because of our nature. We realize that every person says it in a different way but we all know that we're sinners well how do we say it in culture nobody's perfect yeah we're all sinners and we know that there's got to be a payment for the penalty of our sin we know that we have to do something to say i'm sorry but I'm sorry just doesn't cut it because it doesn't remove the action and it doesn't remove the consequence, and So I'm sorry just does not really absolve us or forgive us of all of our sin. And so rather than doing that, we realize there's got to be something more that we do and so we create these methods and, and, and rituals that we go through and maybe in some faiths it's penance and you pay a price and you pay a premium in order to gain forgiveness of your sin. And in some faiths where the Monks would go and, and take themselves away from society. It was, you know, denying the flesh and making sure that I made myself pay for the not being perfect that I am. And, and in some faith, it's just you check the box and come to church every Sunday. But in the real faith, in the true faith of the gospel, which is the most important thing, your penalty's been paid for in full. By the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing you can do to add to that. And you know what Satan wants to do? He wants to take your heart and your mind away from that and create pseudo-religions and pseudo-trains of thought and, and make you start following something that feeds the flesh that I'm looking pretty good because I'm really denying my flesh. I'm looking pretty good because I'm checking all the boxes. I'm looking good because I'm paying all the penances. I'm looking good because I have... paid God off for what he owes me now. See, that's what Satan does to us. People say it's faith and religion and they go to church because they hold to that, but ultimately if you think you're paying God, God off by doing something for the sins that you committed, then you're feeding your own flesh. And so Paul knows this, and he knows the most important thing is the gospel, and but so does Satan, and so he stirs up these even at berea, who who were students of of the word in verse fourteen they immedi- then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there, so those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command of Silas for Silas and Timothy to come with him with all speed, they departed. Even the plans of Satan doesn't derail the work of God. He goes to Thessalonica, an uproar. He's blamed. He's sent out of the city. He goes to Berea. Students of the word checked what he had to teach. It all squares up. Thessalonica comes over, causes the same uproar in Berea. Many of us would say, you know, I want the will of God. But this is just too much. I didn't sign up to pay this high of a price to follow God. Matter of fact, what I really just want is to have God there a few days of the week when it's high and holy days, but the rest of the time is mine. Isn't that the American cultural Christianity that we see? My friends, God is not just a part-time Savior. He's a full-time Lord. And it's been said that if He's not Lord of all in your life, He's not Lord at all. Because really when we make Him Lord, that means we follow. Trust and obey for there's no other way. So getting back to life calls that God would have for you, let me just go through three things real quick. (laughs) <laughs> Pastor Jeff, I'm, uh, I sometimes think you'll be breaking out laughing when I say real quick. But we're going to do it. In your life call, it must be centered on the firm foundation of the gospel. That's the most important thing. Your life call must be centered on the firm foundation of the gospel. Yet if you go out and you talk to people who are unchurched, They'll have a prescription for what they want in church. And you know what that prescription will be quite often? It'll be about the music. It'll be about the tapestries. It'll be about the events, the programs. That's the unchurched. People who have not been a part of church, they they don't know any better. Because they don't know what the most foundational aspect of their life should be about and to them it's about relationship that they can find with others and part of that is true love the lord your god with all your heart soul and mind love your neighbor as yourself there's both relationships in that dynamic but that's their prescription for what they would want in church if they come. And you know how many, how many polls we've actually led into through the Southern Baptist Convention to go door-to-door-to-door to, door to, door to ask lost, unregenerate people that don't know any better about what the foundation is, what would you like to have in a church if we planted one in your area, that we've done that and formulated church around feedback. What about the dechurched? The D churched are those that have come to church and, and perhaps walked the aisle of a church and been baptized in the church. What do they want from church? If you go and you start asking, the D church why would you leave church? Correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor Jeff, but you would know this as well as I. By practical experience, the number one answer, I didn't like the music. And so we shop churches. And we go find a church where we like the music. Whether it's holy and lifted up or not. If it's too loud, we put earplugs in. If it's too quiet, we go to sleep. But we like that music because it helps me sleep, catch up on my time, right? Another complaint, well, they didn't feed me there. And I'm not talking about a church social like we're going to have next Sunday where you sign up and come to a potluck or a women's event today. I'm not talking about that food. They didn't feed me there. You know what we're supposed to be doing in church? We're supposed to be feeding each other. You're supposed to be feeding off of the Word of God day in and day out. Why? Because the gospel is the foundation of your life. It is the foundation of your thoughts. It is the foundation of your decisions. It is the foundation of your actions. And if the gospel is that foundational in your life, you're going to be studying, reading, learning, listening to the Word of God through preachers and and text and tape and any other way you can get it so that foundation becomes more enforced and reinforced and reinforced in your life so that when decisions come, they don't result in disasters. We're supposed to be feeding off each other. And if you're emaciated throughout the whole week and you come spiritually starving into the church on Sunday and you think that the church is going to be able to satisfy every nutritional need that God has created you to have in that one hour service on a Sunday? And my friends, the problem is you really don't have the gospel as your foundation. Something else is taken its place and that's what you've been feeding all week. Your life call must be centered on the firm foundation of the gospel. I said three things. I'm just going to leave it at this one. Some of you said, praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen. But I want to show you that real quick. <laughs> Don't laugh. Turn to First Thessalonians chapter 1. Again, there in Thessalonica, Macedonian call has been answered. Things aren't easy, oh but they're simple. It's about the gospel. 1st Thessalonians, the letter that Paul wrote to this church that he came in and planted. In verse 5, he says this, "For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. You see, everything that they went through when Paul and Silas arrived at Thessalonica and the persecution that was even brought in, you know what that did for Paul and Silas and the rest that were with him? that showed the people of Thessalonica these are authentic people these are real preachers of the real gospel of the real faith of the real Savior when they didn't bow and they didn't cave and they didn't back off of the truth that they were proclaiming when these problems came in it actually was a verification of the truth that they were proclaiming because you're not going to be persecuted for a lie if you know you're telling a lie and all of a sudden those problems start coming in on you, you're going to quickly and easily back off. Which is, by the way, when things get going tough in some people's lives, they become dechurched. Did he say that? Because they really don't believe the gospel. They really don't believe that they are God's child by being born again. And when things get tough, they bell. The verification of Paul and Silas' Lord is the way they behave. And it was all centered in verse 5 on the gospel. Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. You you see, the problems allowed those demonstrations of that power, allowed the demonstrations of the Holy Spirit, allowed the assurance that the people knew the gospel must be real. What they believe and what they hold and what they practice and what they follow and what is the foundation of their life because of the way Paul. Paul. And because of the way Silas is reacting to these problems, the gospel must be real. I wonder, when people see us reacting to problems, do they see that the gospel must be real? When people see how we handle difficulties, do they see that the gospel must be real? Or do they see us standing up to defend ourselves? Do they see us standing up to defame others? Do they see us standing up to do something that is not holy and faith-filled, but rather self-preserving instead because when they see that they think you're just like everybody else and your foundation is you we can either prove the gospel is real or not by the way we walk through these things turn to chapter 2 look at verse 2 but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi as you know We were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict again. It didn't make them back down. Look at verse 4 of chapter 2. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, and not as pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. Look at verse 8 so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. you see the centrality and foundation of the gospel? Look at verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God look at chapter 3 verse 2 and we sent Timothy our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to encourage you concerning the faith is your life centered on the firm foundation of the gospel or is that just an additional decoration in your life because if your life is centered on the firm foundation of the gospel and that is to you the greatest thing that God has ever given the fact that he would send his son to die in your place if that's not the greatest aspect of your life then what do you really believe? I've said it before knowing that Jesus died for my sins, that he paid a debt that he didn't know so that I might share in grace that I didn't deserve, it was the most powerful change that's ever come. When you're born again, you're recreated, a new creation. And that should be a powerful change. If there's never been a powerful change like that in your life, then my friends, the gospel hasn't hit you. What I've said before is if I step out in the middle of Babcock and get hit by a semi, I'll be changed. And if the Gospels hit you, it's more powerful than a semi. You'll be changed. But the point is not, not that you're changed for a day or two. The point is that God keeps changing you. And keeps changing you. And keeps changing you. And the foundation of the Gospel becomes more and more and more in your life over time, and everything revolves around He saved me, He saved me, He saved me. And you know what? When you walk through problems with that, it authenticates it. That's all I want to share today, and that's all I want to share because I think we have some decisions that we have to make if we replace our gospel centrality if we replace the foundation of the gospel in our life with something else what are we going to replace it with if it's fun and frivolity is that going to stand the test of eternity what are we going to replace it with if it's preferences and positions and politics I- is that going to stand the test of eternity What would you replace the gospel of Jesus Christ with as the foundation of your life? Because that's a real decision that we make every day if we're not centered on the gospel. I pray you are. And I pray that it orders the steps and the foundations of the gospel is what you're leaning on for the call of God in your life to do the fruit-bearing Macedonian call that He has for you. Because when that's the case, it will happen. Father, we love you. We thank you for the fact that it's...